to another Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at DMelt57. You can also follow our main account at 2ND City Hockey and find all of our Blackhawks content at secondcityhockey.com. Keep an eye out starting next week. We're going to get into our annual top 25 under 25 rankings. And given the state of the Blackhawks right now, that's probably the most interesting part related to this team. Uh, But as for the end of this week, Corey Snyder is the guest for this week's Friday show, and it, it just a, uh, had a great time talking with him. Uh, Corey's one of the bigger names, maybe the biggest, well, I, let's just say one of the bigger names in what we're going to call the advanced hockey statistics world. And a good portion of our conversation revolved around the specific part of the internet that he's carved out for himself, and we use that general area to get into some Blackhawks adjacent topics while also just discussing how he got into this world and, and kind of how he does it all. Um, there was also a healthy music discussion on this for reasons you're going to learn if you listen to the podcast. And uh, if you listen to this show long enough to get any sort of idea of the musical taste that I have, which are also pretty similar to the musical taste that Mill has, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that part of the conversation. And even if your musical tastes don't overlap, I think there's also parts of that conversation you'll, you'll enjoy as well. So hopefully it appeals to everyone because that was honestly my favorite part of the entire conversation. Uh, Corey is on Twitter at ShutdownLine. Check out his Patreon page where you can subscribe to all of the excellent data that he provides and keep an eye out for his work that's going to be coming up in the McKean's Hockey Yearbook, which uh, gets released sometime in the next few months, I believe. Um, As always, thank you very much for listening to this episode, and here is the conversation with Corey Snyder. Famously had his hamstrings destroyed by Michael Froelich at a in a playoff game, game six, I believe it was back in 2011. But that's the only reason I know it because yeah. Of, so thanks, uh, you can thank Scott Powers for that. Yeah. So I always say Snyder. Like people always ask me, like, how do you say your last name? And it's, I always say Snyder, and they're like Schneider, and I'm like, you know what, close enough. <laughs> well, and, uh, you just heard him introduce part of his name. Corey Snyder is here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network for this week's Friday show. A, uh, a a big name in the hockey microstats community. Corey, thanks for hanging out with us this evening. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, what what have you been up to lately? I know uh, the rest of the NHL is up at a lake house somewhere in Canada right now, but uh, I, I don't imagine you've had that luxury. Well, um, I just finished up a powerlifting meet over the weekend, and I am writing some player profiles for the McKean's Hockey Yearbook right now. So this is like, I think this is my last busy stretch of the off season before I kind of shut off for a little bit. Okay. Like I kind of just, I kind of reached the burnout point like about a few weeks ago and a few people I talked to were like, you should just take some time off. Like nobody is going to care if there's like 10 games missing from the sample of the Columbus blue jackets or something <laughs> like that. So they're like, yeah. everybody appreciates, like everybody appreciates what you do. Just like take a rest for a little bit. Yeah. You're not going to track the world juniors games. <laughs> no, I don't think so. There's, there's people that do that. And I'm always interested to see what they come up with just because I kind of like seeing what's on the horizon in the league. Mm. Yeah. I just like, I, like I was watching some of USA and Germany the other night, but uh, in like middle of the second period, USA was up 30 to five in shots on goal. And it was three or four to nothing at that point. I'm like, there's three Blackhawks prospects in this game, but I don't know what I'm going to learn about them by watching this game. So I, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I think the last the last major like World Juniors I watched was when like Aho and Puyarvi were on that line oh, for wow. Team Finland. Okay, that's, and, so it's been a while. Yeah, well, the problem is, is that I just I don't get NHL Network. Yeah, and that that would be an issue. Yes. Yeah, so I you have to really seek out the USA games because they kind of have a stranglehold hold on those. 
Mm-hmm. Although I do, I do appreciate ESPN Plus giving us like Germany versus Latvia and those <laughs> games. Because if yeah. I'm bored, I just want hockey on as like white noise or something. It's always nice. Yeah, there you go. And it's it's just weird to see actual hockey games in August. Although a year or two ago, we had the full on Stanley Cup playoffs happening right now. But uh, it's still just weird to see any hockey while it's, you know, really hot and humid outside, at least in this part of the, of the world. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of loved the whole bubble experience, even though it was hell for the players, because like you had a hockey game on at noon on in the middle of August, like and it and like you had to remind yourself, oh, yeah, this is a playoff game and whoever mm-hmm. wins this could potentially like win the cup and their names are going to go on there forever. It's like this Islanders <laughs> Panthers game that's on while I'm eating breakfast actually has high stakes. It it was uh, like the more and more I think back to that time, just how all, all sports were weird in 2020 because of the circumstances around it. And yeah. I, I like every now and then I'll see a clip or something with an empty stadium. And it's like, how did we do that? Like it's, it's so, it's such a foreign concept now that fans are back in stadiums pretty much everywhere to know what it, that we were watching sports consistently with nobody in the building. And I hope we never have to do that again because it was too weird. Yeah. It's weird because like I was doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of like, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to say stat tracking because like, it's, I mean, basically just my job. I was watching a lot of hockey during the <laughs> uh, empty, the empty stadium area. And I just cut, I got used to the tarps with all the advertisements and the seats. And when mm-hmm. there was a game with fans, it looked weird to me, like at first. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, I, I had the same problem. Like I think the Hawks had an empty stadium all year, didn't they? Just They got they were, like the, the very last game in early 2021. Like it was the last one or two home games. They had a percentage of fans in the building. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah. Cause I remember Carolina started letting fans back in a little earlier, but it was a limited capacity until the mm-hmm. playoffs. And even last year, like Ottawa had to have a few empty seat games. Right. I think Winnipeg did too. Yeah. And even last year we had the <laughs> two week shutdown or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I, I fingers crossed that this will be an 82 game season coming up with, um, no delays or, or pauses or anything, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I thought we were going to get that last season a little bit, but I guess not. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was surprised they did it. <laughs> yeah. So the reason obviously we have you gathered this evening is I wanted to talk to you about uh, just what you do, because I think it's, it's a unique corner of the hockey internet world that you have carved out for yourself. Um, because I, I think that there's a lot of numbers and stats and all the and analytics, and I think they get grouped on. Everybody throws them under the same umbrella, but I think those who dive into them more can understand the nuances of what you do versus like what Dom Lucizen does. I can never say his name right either. Uh, <laughs> what, what Dom does for the athletic, um, what the evolving hockey uh, people do. Like th- there's a lot of places out there. So how would you best describe what you do uh, in terms of generating hockey? I guess microstats is the best word. Well, I th- the best way I can explain what I do is I explain what players are good at and what they're bad at. It's okay. basically quantifying skills. So what I do is I watch games. I track things that happen. Like uh, the main thing that I do track is zone entries and primary shot assists or just shot okay. assists. I call them now. Basically, whenever there's a shot on goal or mostly a scoring chance now, not a empty calorie shot. I track how I track how many passes there were before it happened and which players, which players made the pass and also add some like contextual details to it. Like where the pass came from, if it crossed the middle of the slot, if it was from behind the net, if the pass went back to the point to kind of just quantify or track where the puck is going, like passing sequences and at the end of the day, what we can get is like how players create offense, which lines work best together, which lines have the best chemistry and uh, just what drives, what drives results that you see from like the evolving wild twins or Dom's game Mm. score stat. Like a lot of what they do is like, they show he's what it, it shows what happens while they're on the ice and tries to quantify their impact like uh, Micah Blake McCurdy, also hockey biz. He does a really right. good job with that. And he does, he also did a really good job of incorporating some of the data I track into what he tracks. So what he does is looks at what a player's isolated impact is. So like when this player is on the ice, 
his team is getting dangerous chances and giving up this many dangerous chances at a rate like compared to the league average. And what he did with my data was look at how good a player is at setting up his teammates. He called it setting like in volleyball, like okay. you yeah. set up like basically like you're setting up your teammates to get a good shot. And so, uh, he used my shot assist data to kind of quantify that. And a few pl- like Patrick Kane was a player who graded out really well on that. Cause like in public models, Patrick Kane, his stats haven't looked great. Like mostly because of his defensive play and he doesn't create a lot of offense in volume, but the offense he does create is dangerous or a lot of dangerous chances through like his passing and how good he is creating what I call quick strike offense, which is like you enter the zone and boom, you get a scoring chance. Uh, so, yeah. Cause, cause yeah. I remember Patrick Caden was one of the players. There was a lengthy Twitter thread. I think it was Jay fresh hockey who was on these airwaves a year ago, uh, talking about how Patrick Kane kind of was breaking models. Um, and, and some, I, I remember somebody in our comments was trying to use that as like an argument of like, oh, these models aren't good. When I, and, and our, our counter to that was actually, I think the fact that Patrick Kane is a Hall of Fame, it, it's more of a indication of how good Patrick Kane is that he broke the model, that it takes a Hall of Fame level talent to break the model. Right. Because passing is something that's not tracked or incorporated like in their models, mm-hmm. mostly because it's not available. Like the only, I don't, I, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one tracking passes but I'm like the biggest, I have, I have like the biggest, most public database of it. Okay. As far as I know, at least there's probably private data companies that have a lot of this stuff out there, but it's all privatized, but mine is in the public. So that's what makes mine different. (laughs) But Patrick Kane is, Patrick Kane has like been one of the highest rated players in terms of passing, just like how many scoring chances he sets up, how many high danger passes he sets up, which are very hard to do on a consistent basis. Like, a player usually, if he has a lot of high danger passes in a season, it usually doesn't carry over to the next year because they're rare events. They're hard to do. It's a lot of circumstantial type of, or like a circumstantial type of events that happen mm-hmm. from just defensive mistakes. But Kane is one of the few who creates them on his own. So that's what makes him, that's what makes him kind of stand out like among the rest of the pack. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, get, finding like, but yeah, like not just Patrick Kane, but like there's other players. Like last year, it was Robert Thomas who kind of broke a lot of those stats last year. Okay. And okay. Uh, but yeah, finding finding players like that and just quantifying what they're good at is what I do. But there's other stats I track too, like entry defense, zone exits is another stat I track to kind of unsolve the Rubik's cube of evaluating defensemen, which I feel like is kind of a big hot topic over the last few years. Yes. I, and I, I think that's the, the more interesting part of what you do, because um, I, 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 cause the, the things that you track, like like you mentioned, like passes, you know, Patrick Kane's passes into high danger areas. As long as you know where the high danger area is, I think it's most reasonable. Really, yeah, most reasonable people can agree if a high danger pass was successful or not. Mm-hmm. People can agree on if the zone entry or exit was um, was successful or not. So it feels like it is data that is not it's entirely objective information. Like these are just simply counting whether or not a player did this particular thing well. And I, I, I think like that's the, because there's, there's sometimes there's some gray area and in, in terms of how, um, how these things are calculated, but yours is not calculated. It's just counting data. So it seems like it should be irrefutable, uh, inarguable type of things, but I don't know uh, how often you get pushback on the numbers that you generate. I mean, I get a little pushback, but that's just because I'm presenting so much data, which is kind of what I struggle with as far as like my own my own type of analysis. Because there's a mm-hmm. lot of data points that go into this. Like the most re- last year, I made player cards for like the stats that I track, and I could go up to as many as sixty or seventy stats on them. But I try to condense <laughs> them down into like what's the most what's the most important and what makes sense to like the average fan. So like recently I kind of like zone exits that is objective, but also there's kind of gray area with that because like a zone exit could be without a zone exit without any pressure. Like it's not exactly measuring talent. Like if a player doesn't like if a defense, if a defenseman goes out to retrieve the puck and skates out of the zone with no pressure, it's not really measuring anything. So I I toss those plays out and look at plays where he has to be pressure or get the puck through the neutral zone. Because okay. like that's cha- that's challenging. It's hard to do that on a consistent basis. So if we find the we find players who are good at that, 
we have a good way of kind of measuring good way of measuring like what's an important skill for a defenseman. And and while we're on that subject, one of the questions from one of our staffers, LBR, who is our, we'll call her our, our resident uh, hockey analytics and microstats guru. Cause she is the one that has all your information on. Uh, I think she just studies and memorizes everything that you put together, but are there any defensive stats that you haven't tracked yet that you would like to, or are there, parts of the defensive game that you've tried to quantify and just haven't been able to figure out how to do it yet? Uh, well, in the playoffs, I started tracking uh, defensive breakups. Basically, anytime a defenseman like stopped the play and okay. cleared it out of the zone. Like, if he stopped the play and turned it over, I wasn't going to count that, which is kind of part of the problem. Because, like, it's like the whole block shots theory where, like, the whole block shot killing rats theory where it's like if you're killing rats all the time, it means your house is infested with rats. It's not a good thing. Like, <laughs> blocking never, a million shots. Like, I've never block, heard it used it that way before. I love that analogy. That's perfect. <laughs> it's not mine. But um, blocking shots, like, that's what it's always what a lot of people compare it to. But that's the problem I kind of ran into with, like, tracking defensive breakups and stuff like that. Okay. But, like... I would, I really would want to track kind of just what exactly the, the defenseman is like assigned to do in the defensive zone because each team has a different system, like with coverages and all that. And it's really hard to do from like an untrained eye or even just me, like me watching on like a t- on the TV broadcast instead of like having a sky level or like a press box seat for it. Cause you <laughs> can't really. There's not an all 22 angle available in the, in the, or an NHL equivalent of that. I mean, I mean, it would be nice, but it's also like, I don't know if I'm going to be tracking noise, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. That's like the big thing that I don't want to do. I don't want to track things that are just random noise. Like if this something happens like two or three times a game, it's not really like, it's not really worth tracking to me just because it's like, Oh, it happened. And at the end of the day, you might get some interesting results, but it wouldn't be anything like worth sharing. But uh, I guess one of the things I would want to track, though, is kind of how much space a shooter has, because I think that's something that is really hard to do and quantify with what we have now, even with what I do, because a, a, a player could get a decent shot off from like a good area on the ice. But if he's like covered, if he's covered or he's dealing with like two stick checks, like it's not going to be a great scoring chance where if he has like 10 feet of daylight in front of him. So that's something I would want to track. Like I was talking to a, I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago and he wanted, he wanted me to start studying like, uh, like in basketball, they have open shots. I guess that's, oh, okay. they, that's something they track in basketball. He wanted me to kind of start tracking that to see which players get, which players have the most, what he called open shots, like where they kind of break free from coverage. And if there was anything we could do with that, it didn't really, it didn't really go anywhere just because he asked me to do it in the middle of the season when I already got my own system dialed in and everything. It's really hard for me to break. It's really hard for me to kind of like incorporate something totally new like that. Yeah. But uh, that that's something I would definitely want to look into just how much space like a player has, like when, when they're shooting, just because everything happens so quickly now, I feel like, and players that can kind of slow the game down, like an Austin Matthews or Jason Robertson, like those guys are really like the special ones to me because they're the ones that can kind of create something out of nothing. Yeah. I, I, that is a concept I had never even considered before. So I would, if you ever figure that out, I will absolutely be interested in that data. I, I think the closest thing I've ever come to referencing players with open shots is discussing the Blackhawks uh, coverage under Jeremy Colleton because there was a lot of uh, players with acres of space taking a lot of wide open shots all the time. So maybe that maybe that could be something just like a team wide stat, uh, an average of how much space a player has or how much opposing players space they have to take a shot on net. And that could be indicative of how bad the coverage is in zone. So there you go. I'll, I'll, I look yeah. forward to when you uh, launch that for next season. Yeah, with me, it would be more it would be more categorical, though, rather than something that like sport logic would do or something like player puck tracking would do, because I would do like, was the shot contested or not? Something like that. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be perfect, but it'd be kind of a starting point. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. Maybe it's something I can do if I get bored over the next month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, during, during your free time, you'll think of other things to track. That's that's what you'll end up doing. 
Yeah, like I always ask subscribers, like, what new things do you want me to track and what things do you want me to add? And last year, they wanted me to scrap zone exits for puck retrievals to mm-hmm. kind of look at where the exits started as opposed to just who got the puck out of the zone. And it revealed some in- very interesting information just with how defensemen are deployed and how certain defensemen are kind of kept away from pressure, kept away from having to play defense, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, this is usually the part where if we had, um, other people in the hockey analytics world on, I would ask them for like Blackhawk specific information, but, uh, it's a very real possibility that the lineup that the Blackhawks uh, start for game one, uh, next season, that not a single one of those guys could matter in the long term. So I'm not going to ask you about that. Uh, the main thing we talked here about earlier is Patrick Kane's really good at passing the puck in the offensive zone. I think that is a. A conclusion I think everybody can agree. Um, but what one other question I did have for you. Um, is is there been any movement in like uh more detailed stats for goalies? And because that seems like again, that's a very um there's a lot of mystery evolved uh, around like uh what makes a goalie good and, and or worth for the goalies just being bailed out by his defense. So has there been any progress on your end or just things that you've seen that are a better indication of uh what is good statistics for a goalie? Yeah, that's something I'm going to need to kind of, that's something I can do just because uh, I do track like, like in my tracking sheet, like the goalie is listed so I can look at which goalies are dealing with the most like cross seam passes or something like that, which goalies are getting screwed by their defensemen. But okay. that's something I, I haven't really dove into just because it requires a lot of like really hard data science to do just from how the data was tracked on my end. I needed to, I need to clean it up a lot, but like the most that I know that some people do is that uh, clear sight analytics from the, uh, the Rangers broadcast zone. If you've seen that, uh, I can't, yeah, I can't say I have no. Yeah. Steve Valakat. He's, uh, he used to play goal for them. He's a, uh, analyst for them now, but he does a lot of goalie tracking. I think they track every shot and whether like the goalie could see the puck, if he had to move laterally, if the puck crosses like the middle of the slot, they call it the railroad. I don't do that because I'm not a geek, but um, <laughs> they do that. Because, but it's it's interesting because you get some information on uh, which goalies might be overrated by like public by public data, just like which arenas are overcounting shots. Apparently, Connor Hellebuck is one of those. Oh, and, okay. Uh, although, like I do, I do notice when I track games is that I there's a lot of messy scorekeeping with shots. So I do wonder how much of that goes. I do wonder how much of that muddles up like the expect goal models, but I know they also have, they also work to kind of iron out arena bias and that because smart, smarter people than me like run these models and make them. So I'm not going to like start saying, Oh, look, the information elite collect is bad. So this is all bad. So they probably know that this goes on and, and work that out. But right. And it, but the but the goalies is interesting because uh, I think there is more that we could do there because save percentage kind of fluctuates depending on which team you're on and which defense you're playing behind. And right. I know some people have moved on to goals allowed above average or goals saved above average and stats like that. So, but with me, I feel like there's something I could do. I just need to kind of sit down and do the hard data to mm-hmm. kind of uh, to uh, look at it. I did actually start looking at, uh, I started incorporating goalies into my zone exit tracking just to kind of get some fun data about that. Cause I feel like everybody complains about goalies playing the puck too much. And it brought some interesting data in the playoffs. Like n- it, nothing we don't really already know. just made, it allowed me to make, to make a uh, funny chart about Mike Smith playing the puck. <laughs> oh, but, uh, per- Chicago Blackhawks favorite goalie. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, yeah, but for the regular season, it's been kind of messy so far, but I have a very, very small data sample with that. So okay. I might need to look at that in the grand scheme of things. But when I did look at goalies playing the puck in the past, it was like the uh, data that I got at the end was Ben Bishop is good at playing the puck and everybody else stinks. Wow. So, so that was a while ago because Ben Bishop hasn't played a ton. Did he end up retiring from all those injuries? I can't remember. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. I remember this was, was a this was a pandemic project, mind you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the last thing related to all this, the stats I want to ask you is 
And, and and I don't think that there's probably I don't know if there's going to be one uh, and and it obviously would be different for forwards and defensemen. But is there is there anything that you've seen the good teams that their their good players consistently do well, or on the other end of that spectrum, is there something that a specific stat that you track that bad players on bad teams do poorly? Well, one of the things that good teams consistently do, at least in the regular season is they win the neutral zone battle regardless of how they get the puck in. Like you can win the puck dumping the puck in. You can win the puck. I mean, did I say win the puck? You can win like games (laughs) dumping the puck in a lot. And you can do that over the course of a whole season. Like it doesn't really matter if you're a team that carries the puck in a lot. It really just depends on if you have the puck more than them. And if you're not giving up a million chances on zone entries, like Tampa Bay, is a team that can kind of Tampa Bay has been a team that's won it both ways. Like the first time they won the cup, they were a really heavy fort checking team last year. They were more of a transition team. And this past year it was kind of in the middle. Colorado has been the same team for the last four or five years. And they ran away with the regular season and finally got their cup win this past year. And Florida was the same way, but it didn't really work out for them in the playoffs. But that's also kind of like, they also went up against Tampa Bay who is like, a team that does exactly what they do, but they're just more experienced. Right. Yeah, but like, go ahead. And some teams have debunked the trend last year was the Rangers, which there's a lot of weirdness going on with that team. Part mostly because they had Shesterkin and had, uh-huh. well, most of well, yeah, it's mostly Shesterkin, but they also had a very weird way of kind of creating offense and then just kind of turn the games into a slog fest after that. But, okay. But like, teams that teams that win and go deep in the playoffs usually win the neutral zone battle regardless of just regardless of how they get the puck into the zone but it's also i was gonna say i think that's an interesting thing because it feels like the least that area obviously it's the smallest area on the ice and also it feels like that's where the least amount of time where the puck actually is but it sounds like that's also like some of the most crucial parts of the game it is. And what's interesting is like it can kind of go in different it can kind of go in different ways depending on I mean you can kind of like execute it in different ways because with Tampa Bay, they have like three or four guys who have the green light to carry the puck in and their defensemen are very active too. The rest of the team is kind of in four check mode. It's like you have Braden Point, you have Kucherov, um not Stamkos wasn't one of them either. It was like a third or a fourth liner. I think, oh yes, yeah, Cir- yeah, Cirelli. I don't know why my mind blanked there, but, um, but like they have those guys who are more of their transition players, and everybody else is kind of just a forecheck monster. Like Alex Kalorn was really good that good at that his in his heyday. Yanni Gord was really good at that too. Whereas like Colorado, everybody plays the same way. There, everybody there creates off the rush. Like, and it all it all really starts with McKinnon. And kind of just trickles its way down. Like Kadri was really good there the last couple of years. Ronson mm-hmm. is too. And even like the third and fourth liners are really good. Like uh, Logan O'Connor, who like is just a fourth line grinder. He was very good at creating in transition, but he just did on the fourth line. So that's kind of a pain in the ass for like the other team to deal with. Cause it's like, Oh, the fourth line's out. We might get a breather here. Nope. This guy that's on their fourth line is very fast and can also attack the net. So we got to kind of be on, we're on our heels still. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, I, it seems like that's what it takes to win in the NHL now is you need all four lines to be able to do something very well. Uh, so, and you know, not, not everybody's going to be the top, uh, hundred point line scoring guy. So you need, you need somebody to do other parts of the game as well. Cause you also got to play defense at some point. Uh, but Corey, we've got a few other topics we want to get to, uh, maybe one or two quick more hockey things. And then, uh, the really fun things that we actually wanted to talk about, and we're going to take a quick time out and come back <laughs> to all of those things. Welcome back to the Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Corey Snyder's with us. We're talking a little bit more hockey stuff real quick. And as, as we were talking about before the break, Corey, and I, I wanted to quickly follow up on this before we transition away from it. Um, we were talking about, like, you were mentioning that playing in the neutral zone seems really important. So I guess if you were a Blackhawks fan with this team rebuilding, I guess um, you had a new coaching staff in. And like, obviously a lot, we, as we mentioned earlier, like a lot of the players who are here now may not be here in the future, but is there something that through, through all the data and everything you're tracking or just something that 
from watching all the games, is there something that we should be keeping an eye on that might be indicative of a healthy system or a style of hockey that the Blackhawks new coaching staff is trying to implement because it seems like the last coaching regime did not have a good, sound, healthy hockey system in place? Well, I think the when you look at the successful teams, when I when I look at the Tampa Bays and the Floridas and the Colorados and even Carolina to some extent, what they do really well is they can just call anybody up, put them in their system, and they're a good player. Like Florida, they could they put they could put anybody in that lineup and get good offense out of them. Tampa Bay, they have a set role. Their system in Syracuse is the same as in Tampa Bay. Everybody's on the same page there. So when a guy gets called up, he knows what to do, even if he's not like with playing with Stamkos or with Sorelli or something like that. And even when they trade for guys, like when they got Hagel and, and Nick Paul, they put them on their checking line with Sorelli and they had a clear defined role. You guys are just going to check the hell out of their top line. You might get a goal here or two, but we just want you to do this. And that was and that's like kind of what I look for when I look for successful teams, especially when it comes to calling up their top prospects, because like I want to see the top prospects like a Lucas Reichel kind Mm -hmm. of not. I want him to play. I would want him to play his game. I want him to create. I don't want him to like be scared to make a mistake. Because right. with where they are right now, they're still trying to figure, like in a, in a year or so, they're going to be figuring out like who's good, who isn't, who's worth keeping, who's not. And over the last few years, I feel like there's a lot of just kind of inconsistencies just when they were calling guys up, like they were hyping up Ian Mitchell, Nick Bowden, mm-hmm. Boquist, <laughs> a few of these guys were coming up and it just looked like they were in over their head. They didn't really know what the system was, what system they were playing. It's like, you want me to create offense, but I'm getting benched every time I try to make a play. And it just seemed like a lot of, I don't know, just pretty muddled with uh, getting guys to fit in. And they would just kind of get stuck. They would get stuck in like death forward purgatory, as I call it. (laughs) And it's not always a hit with people. I mean, it's not always a hit too. Like Tampa Bay, they drafted Slater Cuckoo in the first round. And uh, Ah, Blackhawks legend Slater Cuckoo. Yeah, and like uh, he was coming up under John Cooper and didn't really make the cut at the end. He didn't fit. They had like Dan Girardi coming over him instead. So like not everybody's going to make it. It's not always going to be 100%. But like you want hits like you want hits like eight times out of 10 or even six out of 10. Yeah. And I do kind of and like sometimes I kind of worry when I look at if a player, if the only guys who can fit into a team system are guys that forecheck and guys that grind like that's kind of a sign to me that things aren't going well because if you can't like fit a skilled player into your system just because he's not playing in the top nine or the top six then i feel like there's a there's probably an issue gotcha well i guess we'll uh we'll have to i'll play this back in a year or two when uh we're into uh, deeper into this hawks rebuild and see if any of the uh any of those things have come to fruition because there's i mean, I mean it, there's a lot I mean, of guys there's, go ahead there, I mean, there's a fine, perfect example of it last year. It's like they traded Nylander for Sam Lafferty. And like Sam Lafferty is like a hardworking player, but what's he going to get for you in like a, in a good season? Like maybe 10 goals if he's lucky. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, but that's the guys who they can fit in because that's really the only way they can win is if they forecheck and grind. And if that's like your only option, then you don't have, you don't have game breakers. You're not going to beat the good teams when you need to, you're not going to get through the doldrums of the season. Cause everybody's just going to be worn down. And mm-hmm. it's like, I thought Derek King did a good job of like cleaning things up, but he had him playing such like a hardworking style. that It wasn't going to work like yeah. for 82 games. Well, like even Brandon Hagel, who I, we all liked. And I, if he was, a, he turned, he was a completely like out of nowhere guy who came into the NHL and had a very good season. Uh, but he went to Tampa like th- he was flirting with top line minutes at times in Chicago because the Hawks didn't have really any forwards. I mean, maybe like second or third line. He went to Tampa and they threw him on the fourth line. So and, and he was yeah. playing and, and Hagel was playing on the power play at times in Chicago. He was not playing on the power play in Tampa. So it's just I think that's a dick that Brandon like and Brandon Hagel should have been the epitome of this is where the Blackhawks are compared to the good teams in the NHL. Yeah. And like I remember uh, there were. 
being players like Kurashev up all season. And it mm-hmm. was, I don't know, Kurashev wouldn't be in the league on most teams. <laughs> don't say, uh, I, we're, we're very worried about Phil Kurashev because like the, the 2021 season, we all liked him, but he just, nothing's really happened since that season. And like, it's kind of getting to the point where if he doesn't flash soon, uh, he, that, you know, he'll be cast off and what have you. Yeah. I like, I'm also keeping my eye, my eye on this with the Red Wings, just with, uh, they're kind of starting to get out of like, they're starting to enter like the, we need to win some damn games (laughs) part of the rebuild. And, uh, they have a really, they have one of my old favorite prospects there, Philip Zadina. And it seems like he's really, he's really struggled to kind of find that next level there. Like he's one of those guys who can create a lot of shots, but never score. He struggles to finish and just seems like he's really frustrated. And he can't really find out what to do if he's not scoring goals. And I don't know. I feel like he's a talented enough player that you can make him like a really good second line forward on a good team. So I do wonder if, like once the team starts to rise, he'll come with them kind of like Lucas Raymond did for them last year. Like yeah. where he found his, he found his niche as a power play guy, but, but like I do, this is kind of what I look for when like rebuilding teams start to come out. Like when Toronto started to get good, like it wasn't just Matthews and Marner, like they had Connor Brown and a few other guys come up too. Well, I mean, and you go back, God, 15 years now <laughs> with when, when the, well, maybe like 14 or 13, but when the Hawks emerged, they had Taves and Kane and Sharp at the top, but they also had, uh, you know, Jalmerson and Boland and Bufflin and Brower and all those mid tier guys that helped fill out the lineup. So they had a whole hockey team, not just one or two lines. So, yep. And like getting Andrew Ladd, like you find a guy mm-hmm. who was struggling to fit in route two. Yeah. And swap him one for one, Andrew Ladd, and change the scenery. Done, did him well. Yeah. Oh, that I my uh, Tuomo Rutu jersey still hanging in the closet somewhere. I liked Rutu when he was <laughs> a Hurricane. I I I joined him in Chicago, and and he yeah. was. I thought he was going to get rewarded for all the miserable teams he played on, but but uh, I guess he got to go to Carolina. So whatever. I mean, he uh, got a play. He had a playoff. He was popular here because just because he hit a lot of guys. Yeah, and he he had a playoff run here, but yeah, most of the time, he most of his career here was when the team wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, no, well, well uh, he can he can come back to Chicago now if he wants to experience that. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, it's it's August. Uh, hockey's you know even with the World Juniors playing, there's not the NHL's not coming back for a few more months. So so we don't need to talk about hockey anymore. And actually, we have a perfect. Uh, topic, a share topic to discuss because this was a reminder of just for me of just how like the world sometimes seems very large, but also at times because of the internet now, it, uh, it feels very small. So there's a a band that I think many people will be familiar with named Silverstein. S- Silverstein, right? I always screw this up. I don't know if it's Silverstein or Silverstein. Silverstein. <laughs> Silverstein. Yeah, Silverstein. The lead singer. <laughs> the lead singer is Shane Told. He has a podcast called the lead singer syndrome where he talks to other lead singers and they have a, there's a, a, if you're in the Patreon, you get access to a Facebook group called the all access club. And I found out like a year ago that both Corey Snyder and I are in this Facebook group. I had no idea about this. I don't even remember how we discovered it, but uh, I, I guess just first off, Corey, how did you find out about that show? Well, like with the work that I do, I'm at my computer all day. I listen to a lot of podcasts and Shane was, I can't remember who was the first guest that I wanted to listen to. It might've been, uh, it might've been a uh, soupy from the wonder years. Oh yeah. And like I okay. saw on his Twitter that he's going to be on this podcast with a singer of Silverstein. I'm like, Oh yeah, that sounds fun. And, uh, I started kind of following it every week just because he would always have a guest on that I wanted to hear. Cause like he had Matt Pryor from the get up kids shortly after um, a few others, like back in the early days, like he was going through the <laughs> ringer of like guests that I wanted to listen to. Cause I think like warp tour was going on. Yeah. I just went to warp tour that year. So he was kind of hitting up a lot of my favorite bands. Like I was really into census fail at the time. Ah, and yeah. But he was been, one of the guests. Yeah. Been there. <laughs> yeah. So like we, I, I go ahead. I feel like if you're into silver scene, you're probably into census fail too, or you were at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's like, it's, I, I think the, like the biggest umbrella I can cast to kind of rope in all the bands that are in this area 
is Warp Tour era punk is the best one I've got for it. Um, but like I, I just I opened up and I've scrolled back to the very beginning. He talked to the lead singers of the Wonder Years, which is Soupy, uh, also known as Dan Campbell, big, big Philly sports fan, which uh, also Shane told's a huge Toronto sports fan and a huge Maple Leafs fan. So well, that's his one of his character flaws is he likes the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> but also, I mean, yeah, Anne Berlin. Begrudgingly. Yeah, begrudgingly. He's he's uh, he's an interesting person. Uh, but uh, like Senses Fail, Simple Plan, August Burns Red, Bless the Fall, Taking Back Sunday, Under Oath. I mean, this is this is the mid two thousands lineup right here. Uh, Strike Anywhere, Finger Eleven. Like th- these been, are all the these are all the bands, the lead singers of bands that Shane told his head on his podcast. Um, it's and, been crazy to see how much it's like taken off too. Because I remember he had like Jonathan Davis from Corn on there. Yeah. Yeah, he started. It started. The first episode was uh, Caleb Shoma from Beartooth back in November 2015, and it's still going today. I I I I've kind of fallen out of the loop as I feel like he exhausted all the bands I knew, and now he's talking to all these bands. I have no idea who these people are, but every, yeah. every now and then he'll they'll they'll chime in with like like the I remember I think in the middle of the pandemic and like the initial lockdown wave he had Jim Atkins from Jimmy Eat World on. It was like oh in a heartbeat. I'm gonna listen to every second of this. Yeah, I remember that one. I think the last there was a really good one not that long ago that I listened to, but he's also the episodes haven't been happening as frequently lately. I feel like just because he's busy and I feel like he's talked to almost everybody. <laughs> that's well, that's the other thing. It it does have like that music that genre, even as big of a, a net as you can cast, it does have a finite amount uh, of people in. And actually, I'm I'm just scrolling through now on uh, at the end of May, he had Taylor Hansen on it which i'll have to go back and listen to that one so i'm sure i'm just intrigued by that just yeah. to hear, but that, that's a little bit out of the musical loop of what i usually listen to yeah sometimes like uh i mean sometimes that show kind of gives me an idea of what to listen to like the singer of state champs is on there like a couple months ago mm-hmm. and i was like oh wait they have a new record out and it's like one of my favorite records of the year yeah so how how did you i, I guess what were your first musical interests like were you always into this kind of general area or did you start somewhere else and work your way in? Yeah. Like I was like a radio rock kid back then. And I I kind of just, I just kind of like devoured everything like the radio was playing, but so so Lincoln, probably Lincoln park. It seems like everybody that's, I think we're roughly the same age. Uh, There's a lot of Lincoln park fans back in the day. Yeah. I absolutely had that record, but like, one of the I was really more into like the metal stuff though. Like I was a big uh, I was a big like Avenged Sevenfold fan. Okay. Like I st- I watched Headbangers Ball a lot all the time, and I got into Avenged and Killswitch, and I I didn't really like Slip. I mean, I liked I liked Slipknot, but I like the record that everybody hates. <laughs> <laughs> Which was that? The uh, the one when they went like all radio rock with like duality and before I forget okay. on it. Yeah, like, I, I love that record. I can't stand anything else they put out because it's all just noise. But okay. the first band that I really like dove into was probably AFI. Okay. And I rem- like I was a- I was always a kid that like downloaded stuff off LimeWire, and I didn't buy a lot of CDs until I was like twelve. Well, you weren't working enough to have money to be able to buy those things. So I guess, you know, I I think there there was a LimeWire generation that just grew up not having to pay for things because we didn't know that that was a thing you had to do. Like my brain is was so broken by the pandemic. I was making <laughs> playlists of like of LimeWire mixes that I could remember from the back of my brain because apparently that's the thing I store. Because apparently wow. that's what I store in my memory. But. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like AFI was the first band I really just kind of dove into and just kind of got really sucked into and obsessed with, but it was also like my best friend at the time, he got into them first and he, he would always play sing the sorrow when he was at my house. And Mm -hmm. then like, he started getting more of their records and he said, Oh, you should, he's like, you have to listen to more of this band. Like they're awesome. So I kind of (laughs) just, I bought the, uh, I bought, they had this weird, um, it wasn't a greatest hits record because it was all of their nitro stuff, like from their old, from their old albums. So I bought this record that had a ton of their older stuff on it. Like back when they were a punk band and, uh, I just got obsessed with that. And I got really into like the, like I got into just their entire discography back then. And this was all before December underground came up. 
like when they really started to kind of blow up, like before Miss Murder came out. Okay. And uh, Rancid was the other band I got into just because like, that's the, that's the stuff I started to kind of gravitate towards. Like I really liked, I really liked In Outcome the Wolves. I really liked Indestructible back then. And uh, there was a bunch of other bands. Like I, I liked Blink-182, but I didn't love them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, they were, they were like, I, I, they were just so, they were just so popular. Like, everybody liked them. Like, even people that, like, didn't seem like they were into any sort of rock or punk or anything, you know, everybody knew all the small things in the, yeah. in the early 2000s or late 90s, whenever that album came out. So, like, if any song was on the radio and had kind of an edge to it, I just got super into it. Like, Story of the Year was one of those oh, bands I got super into I, at the time. I was George story of the year. I, and I still do. I saw them like a year or two ago and it was great. Yeah. Like that was a total, like right place, right time band for me. Like it just had a lot of emotion, a lot of edge, a lot of angst. And like, I, I got page Avenue, like at FYE or something. I listened the hell out of that, like on a road on like a, on my like walk, man, when I went on like a trip to South Carolina with my family, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Page Avenue was a that was a, a sign. I I think I uh, that was in my CD player for a very long time in in my portable yeah. discman. Yeah, I yeah I don't listen. To, I I actually listen to the record that came after Page Avenue a lot more. Uh, is the, that uh, in the wake the, of determination? The green one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like there's that song on there. Like, is this my fate? He asked them. That song is so like that is so heavy for them. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, another I was like, song. I was like, why don't they do this stuff more often? This is awesome. <laughs> there was also a song on the album called Sleep, which is my personal favorite, like late night driving song. Yeah. Which it's it's not it sounds bad because like it's gonna put you to sleep, but it's it's a very mellow, like driving on the right. And it's like the lyrics are somewhat about driving a little bit. So it's yeah. 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 Like with me though, a lot of the stuff that I was into when I was like 12 or 13, it didn't stick with me. But the stuff I listened to when I was like 16 or 17 stuck with me a lot longer because like when i was younger i really loved disturbed i really liked the used nine inch nails Mm -hmm. um like like i said basically anything that was on the radio like i really just sucked into that but the only band that really stuck with me was afi and and rancid too like i still Mm -hmm. listen to rancid all the time like they're a classic yeah yeah well i think uh I, i never got too far into them but um just I started watching AW. I don't know if you're into pro wrestling at all, but one of the wrestlers is Ruby Soho. So obviously, I started like they're, getting they're, that. Yeah, I, I think that's well. Um, it, it seems like there. This is. I, I think I've talked about this with Mill, one of our other staffers. That there seems to be this weird overlap between the people that I interact with on Twitter that watch hockey, that have similar music tastes, and they all seem to be into pro wrestling too. And then eventually, I just like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll start watching it like a year yeah. ago and now I'm watching pro wrestling again. So they're, they're ruining it for me. So maybe, maybe you're going to end up uh, down the same path as everyone else. Well, I mean, I was super into pro wrestling when I was, when I was a teenager, like, and I was on and off for, I was on and off for a long time and I just didn't watch it for a while because I didn't have cable and there wasn't really a lot that kind of interests me. And it seemed like you had to watch like 10 shows a week or something to keep up. <laughs> yeah. And I'm watching it again now, but not like I used to. Like, I'm still figuring out who everybody is in AEW. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know Chris Jericho. I know... Uh, Christian Cage. I just yeah, Christian. Christian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Christian. Yeah, I like him. Matt Hardy is there. Yeah. Well, CM Punk has been on TV when I watch, like, since I started watching. Yeah, he's he's been hurt for a while. Uh, the, the other one was Sting. I, could, I was amazed when Sting was still around. Like, I... I thought he would have retired, but I guess not. Yeah. Like I'm still like figuring out who I like and like who I like to watch, who I don't like, who I'm supposed yeah. to like there according to the smart wrestling people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, I think that's weird is like, as you get older and you get more like, like what do you start getting back into things a little bit more than just on the surface? Like there's people that have very, very, very strong opinions about these things. And like, I can't decide, like, do I, how much stock should I put in this person's opinion? I don't know whether or not I should believe them or not. Cause I feel yeah. like I've got a good handle in like hockey things where if somebody like on Twitter or on TV or whatever says the thing based off that person, I, I have an idea of whether or not I should believe them or not. 
uh, with other things that like I'm kind of newer getting into, I have no idea if their opinions are worth merit. I think that goes for anything, any interest anywhere. Yeah. Like I've been noticing that with uh, a lot of the wrestling people I follow. Cause like what they like, I'm not really a huge fan of like when AEW, a lot of people like a lot of people like this orange Cassidy guy and the (laughs) young bucks. And I'm, I'm still like, I'm like, I guess they're okay. I don't really, they don't really do anything for me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> like their, their matches are also so long. <laughs> I think, I think that's the other part is like, just when you, uh, of a certain age, you just, you, you're, you're less, um, I guess less receptive to other people telling you how to like it. I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this, this, and this, and in, in the way I enjoy it. And if that doesn't work for other people, that's on them too. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to enjoy this how I want to enjoy it. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's kind of how I, that's kind of how I view wrestling. It's how I am with music <laughs> nowadays too. Cause it's like, I, I used to kind of pay attention to like, what got a good review in AP? What's good on Spotnik music, absolutepunk.net, all those things. But it's now, <laughs> now I'm kind of like, I'm just going to listen to whatever I want. I feel like Spotify's made that easier just because they kind of just throw, they kind of give your music to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they, I've I've been called. I feel like it's kind of called me out on stuff too. It's like you've been listening to a lot of like Motionless and White. This is a band I haven't. I wouldn't be caught dead listening to like five years ago. <laughs> yeah, every but now like, and then I, the, I the algorithm spits something at you that you you didn't know that you were listening to that much, or you get to the uh, the end of the year and it gives you your top songs of the year, and you're like, oh, really? I listened to it that much. Oh. Yeah, I think <laughs> that was like White Zombie for me last year. <laughs> But like, I think what I've noticed is I don't listen to as much music as I used to. I used to just, I listened to me, I used to listen to music like all day, like record after record. Now I'm more of like a song guy, if that makes any sense. No. Yeah. I know what you mean. Cause it's like, uh, like the other day, the interrupters just had a new record out and, uh, I was really into like four or five songs on it. The rest of it is just kind of, eh, not great, but I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm into this record. Like they, they made a few bangers on it. Like, yeah, I I have not been. I I feel like I sh, uh, I uh, I go against what uh, I quote should be doing. I haven't really been a big record guy ever. I've been more of a song guy in my life. But uh, I will say the latest Coheed and Cambria album. I, uh, I I enjoy it immensely, and I saw them play a lot of it Saturday night, and it was delightful. And that's I've been listening to that album on a loop pretty much the last three days. So yeah, I was. So obs- I, I was obsessed with that record like two or three weeks ago. It was really, it's really good. Uh, dude, were you happy? Cause you're in the Chicagoland area, I believe. Did you happen to go see that show Saturday night? No, that was the night before my powerlifting meet. And, ah. uh, I live in, so I live like out near Rockford. Ooh, okay. In, I like in the country and it's kind of a, it's a trek to get to Chicago. So were you, you're waiting for them to come to Milwaukee. Is that what you're talking? <laughs> no, I'm just waiting for a night where I don't have to be up at seven in the morning the next day. Yeah. We're, we're going to come back to the powerlifting thing in, in a second, but you, you touched on it briefly. I wanted to follow up on, you mentioned the thing about how like your musical taste, like it's your stuff that you were listening to when you were 16 and 17, that kind of stuck with you. Is that still the case now? Like, are you still listening to the stuff when you were a late teenager or, or is it like as your musical taste completely shifted now and are you listening to completely different stuff now that you are whatever age you are? Um, yeah, well, I got into a lot of like what people would call like maturish music when I was that age because I was listening to a lot of 90s rock. Like I got really into Jawbreaker back then. I got really into okay. this band called the Lo- I got really into this band called The Loved Ones and like uh, Alkaline Trio was. Uh, my one B favorite band next to AFI back then. Okay. And then I started kind of, I kind of started looking at all the Asian man records bands and a lot of the stuff on side one dummy and fat records, like propagandy, okay. um, the Lawrence arms. Like I, the Lawrence arms were like probably my favorite band. Like when I was in my twenties and I don't listen to them that much anymore, but that's just because they only have so much music out. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of that stuff stuck with me more than a lot of stuff I listened to back then. But also, like, I go through a lot of phases where I'm just kind of obsessed with a band or I listen to a band kind of a lot for a year or two. And then 
I park them, but it's like if they play a show or if a song comes on, I'm like, yeah, that song is like one of my favorites ever. Like the Wonder Years are a really good example of that. Like uh, when I was in my 20s, I was obsessed with the Wonder Years. And that was when The Greatest Generation and Suburbia came out. And those are still two of my favorite records. And like Mm -hmm. the last record I liked, but I didn't really like connect with as much. But I still like support that band and everything just because it's like, they made two. They made two records that I probably listened to. I listened to those records more than I have like any other human talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like the Menzingers were another band too. That was like oh, the yeah. band. That was the band after the Wonder Years because it's also like you associate a band with what you do in life too. Because when mm-hmm. after the party came out, that was when I met my fiance and I moved to Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there you like, go. That 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 is. That and that particular album, actually, there uh, the song "Telling Lies." The chorus is "What we're gonna do now that our twenties are over." And that album came out either at or near the time I turned thirty. So that that was my "Here's Here You're in Your Thirties Now" album. So yeah, yeah. It's also like a band like Silverstein. That was a band I kind of I liked when I was younger, but I wasn't a huge fan. I don't think I owned any Silverstein records. I just kind of listened to Smile in Your Sleep and uh, My Heroin because, like, what kid didn't back then? But, like, when I got older, when I got older, I was like, oh, this band's actually really good. Like, because I feel like around the rescue, this is how the Windshift era, they were starting to play a lot more, a lot more like their influences, like a lot more no effects lag wagon y. Like, you can Mm kind of tell, like, these guys are, these guys grew up on hardcore. And they were showing, they were kind of wearing it on their sleeves a lot more. And I got really into them then. And I've liked every record they put out since. I wasn't a huge fan of A Beautiful Place to Drown, but the last one is really good, even though I can't think of its name off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't, I can't either. Oh, I, Mis- Misery Made Me. Yeah. There you go. There you go. They say it in the first song, which is like <laughs> been on my Spotify shared playlist with my fiance for the last month. <laughs> Well, I, I like because I, I referenced a Facebook group earlier, and like any time it like it seems like a lot of the people in that group are huge Silverstein fans, and obviously uh, like they're uh, for for obvious reasons. And I remember just like when I first got in and like got was like active in like discussions, everything in the group. I'm like I'm not really a big Silverstein fan. Like I really enjoyed the podcast. I was like I had a handful of songs I liked, like you were talking about. Like everyone, I had the discovering the waterfront album because everybody did in 2005. Um, and, and there was a handful of songs since then that I liked, but I was never like hugely in love with them. I've gotten more into their stuff. Like you were talking about, like gotten more in their later albums. I think I've, I appreciate them more, but I can't say I was ever the biggest Silverstein fan in the world. So I don't know if uh, this is something that anybody in the group will listen to, but sorry guys, I guess I'm just, <laughs> I guess I, 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 I guess I kind of missed the boat, but I know there's other people in the group that are the same way. Well, fandom to me is different now just because the level of fandom I had with AFI when I was like a teenager was kind of just extreme just because <laughs> it's like, I, like I knew every lyrics, every single song, like front to back t- that type of fan. Like I wasn't uh-huh. the type to like stalk them. I didn't like do anything weird or anything. I just like listened to them nonstop constantly. Uh-huh. Silver scene. It's like, I'm a fan of that. Like I consider myself a fan. And when I think of like, when I think of like the bands I listen to, Silverstein is probably like, third or fourth like just based on how often i listen to but that's just because like they have a lot of records most of them are good i enjoy a lot of the songs but it's also like there's not a lot they don't have a lot of songs that i'd be like oh yeah this song that's like that like got me through a lot of like hard hard times or whatever whereas mm-hmm. like with the where it's like with the one to years it's like i can kind of relate to them a lot more just because they their lyrics are a lot more kind of relatable they're less vague mm-hmm. and but although like that dead reflection record, that one was pretty heavy as far as like, as far as like relatable content goes like that one's, I think that's, that one one might actually be my favorite by them. Cause that's music is like music, such a subjective thing. Like, I I don't know how, like the way a song is going to hit me is not the same way it's going to hit you or the person next to you or anything. So I like whatever people get in like critical discussions about music, like I always struggle to like, say this record's good or bad because i don't know i just it's it's whether i i now i think i'm more to the point of either i like it or it just doesn't work for me i don't necessarily mean it's bad 
but I just it just didn't didn't register with me, I guess. And, and then I move along to the something else I would rather listen to. I guess I don't yeah, I don't like, try to hate stuff. I only I only actively hate stuff if I'm forced to listen to it. <laughs> so like if I have to see a band live, like if I have to see a band live that I don't like, I'm probably gonna. I don't know if I'll stew about it, but I'll just kind of be like, all right, I'll get through this, but I'm not happy. But that isn't <laughs> that, that's rare. That's rarely happened outside of Warp Tour, where it's <laughs> like falling in reverse or something, or Attila would be playing at the stage next to the band I want to see, and yeah. I have to suffer through like five minutes of him making pig noises. <laughs> That that's only happened to me once. There the only one time in particular it was at a the open air fest and I got I was given a free ticket, so I didn't complain much, but uh Five Finger Death Punch did absolutely nothing for me and they they I I was uh, I just really did not like them at all and I felt like they were the most cliche band I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, I so, feel like if they I, I feel like I wouldn't mind them as much if they had a different name. Yeah. I don't know, it's like if you if you played a song by them and you didn't tell me it was them, maybe I would enjoy it just because like I have a lot, sometimes like I have radio rock on in the background from like work or something. And it's like, whatever it's background music. Like it's not offending me, but yeah, I don't know that band. Like I know a lot of people hate on them, but they've, I have not, I don't think I've ever heard like more than five songs by them. I think, uh, I, I think they did a cover of something and I didn't like it, but I, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it anymore because it's, I just, just don't like it's weird like radio rock i feel like out here is a lot different than it was in, in maryland maryland it was like the same 10 songs over again out here i feel like it, there's a lot more of like scene stuff if that makes sense like i heard yeah. youth on the radio the other day okay I like that would, that new would not song have expected that. okay that, yeah that new song and like they play bad omens on the radio out here which is kind of crazy to me because they would not play anything with screaming in maryland like after 2007 <laughs> uh that's that's funny but yeah i i didn't i don't know what radio station is this because again like i'm i get all i'm not in illinois but i'm just across the state line in indiana so i i get pretty much chicago radio so it's a it's a rockford station it's like okay. wx xrx and like there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of stuff i don't really like on it either but it's also like i don't know some, i'm a little surprised at just how it's not as like the same 10 bands over again. It's like, Oh, here's another Metallica song. Here's another Nirvana song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and then like, they play the new stuff. It's just, here's what imagine dragons just came out with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was actually kind of happy that they're giving some like former underground bands, some shine. Like it's like Beartooth on the radio is pretty cool. Just cause I knew they kind of, they kind of worked really hard to get where they're at. Well, I've got to say, Corey, for the uh, the ten or fifteen people that also have the same music taste that we do, I'm sure they enjoyed the hell out of the last twenty, thirty minutes or so. Uh, and everyone else probably turned it off because they don't know who any of these bands are. But I enjoyed the hell out of this conversation because uh, uh, it's it's fun to talk about something other than hockey with people who are in hockey. Uh, really quickly, though, I wanted you mentioned the powerlifting thing. Uh, what what was your lift and what what did you what you hit? Your, your well, the this... weight you hit. So this past comp, I squatted 336. Oh, man. Which, so I squatted, but it didn't count because according to the judges, I didn't reach death, which, uh, I, I mean, it was my own, I mean, it was my own fault because like the first squat, I went ass to floor and I was like, I could, I, I was like, I could probably cut my death and get the, I could probably cut my death here and get just enough power coming up. I cut my death and lo and behold, I didn't get the lift. So do they do they have replay? Like, do they check to see if you went down as as far as you're supposed to? No, but uh, it's whatever. I'm not gonna. I I it I did it in the gym like a like two weeks before, so I counted in my like I'm counting it in my book. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I still hit 320, which is still a PR for me, so I'm not too broken up about it. I bench I, pressed 170, which is a pretty big PR for me. Bench press is my was my weakest lift forever. Because like I've always been a pretty small person, and generating enough power, gen- generating enough power, and staying calm under the bar is really tough for like yeah. for bench press, especially with especially with me. Because it's like I always, I don't know, I've always been like a small, very unathletic, unmuscular person. So I kind of have to look back and be like, you know, the fact that you're doing this in general is kind of crazy. Like yeah. if you look at where you were five years ago. 
And my deadlift was three. Which one did I hit? I think it was 330, 325. Wow. I went I went for 370 and I did not get it because it was my last lift. Like I was supposed to do 350, but it was my last lift of the day. And I'm like, I have a lot in me. I'm gonna go all out on this. And yeah, I bombed it. <laughs> Which I I'd rather miss that than not try, you know. But just just hearing the amount of weights that you're lifting by hamstrings or just wanting to run for cover, just the the, the thought of anything with a three that my hamstrings would have to lift just sounds like pain. So yeah, what's and it's also like the the weights I move are pretty low compared to what other people do in that comp. But some of these people are like they're, I mean, they're bigger than me. Some of them do it full time, and like some of them are just freaks and strong naturally, but it's, it, it's pretty cool to do. Like just getting to do that kind of thing in general has been kind of a crazy experience. And, and as we were talking about in the commercial break, like the, the, you said, like there's, there, there's ways you can approach it that are like, like, I think you said like, you're kind of a nerd about powerlifting. Yeah. Just from like technique purposes, just because that's kind of how I have to do. I don't, I don't lift well when I do just brute strength. So mm-hmm. I kind of have to look at it from kind of a technical aspect, make, making sure everything's set, making sure everything's tight, making sure I'm setting up the right way is probably like the most important, especially for the deadlift. Cause if you don't have a strong base, the weight is not going to move unless like you just have like freakishly strong leg muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. That again, as I said to you earlier, I don't, I don't know many power lifters and by many, uh, any, so, so that was interesting to hear about. But uh, Corey, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this wide range of conversation. Uh, I know you are on Twitter at shutdownline. There's a Patreon where people can subscribe for all of your hockey tracking information. Uh, any other things to plug while we're here? Well, um, I'm currently working on the McKean's yearbook. So I'm writing a lot of player profiles and Chicago is one of the teams I'm doing. So I have to find eight players to write about for them, which is harder than I thought. <laughs> uh, can confirm but, on that. Yeah, that's the main thing I got going on right now. I might have a, I might have a post on Substack if I feel like doing it, but I'm mostly going to probably take take the rest of August off after I'm done with this and kind of recharge for the new season because I know it's just around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be doing season previews before we know it. Well, Corey, uh, thanks again for joining us here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah.